it should be scripted out of the reality. That's the best way. And, and the man winced. He made a, a face, like, disagreeing with my words. And he goes, no, because the the existence of this cube, the, the knowledge of it is part of the information library of the planet, so you shouldn't be doing that. And I said, what's the use of destroying it? If you leave it as part of the library of information of the planet, somebody in the collective consciousness is going to tune into it, and they're going to make it again. The, the permanent solution is to script it out. So no one will, will stumble on this knowledge, and nobody will make it again. So the woman interjected, and she says, let's see what the, the watchers have to say about this. So I, my focus went to the surface of the table, and I had these five little square tiles. They were about an inch by an inch. Um, they were navy blue, and they had a like a gray border around the edge. And I started arranging them to make a pattern on the table. So then a call comes in, and the lady picks it up, and she says out loud, Jean wants to know, how you're connecting with the watchers. Are you channeling them? And I answered to the woman, without taking my eyes away from the tiles, I said to the woman, no, I'm opening a portal to them. Because when you channel, your personality and your ego get involved. I don't want that. I just want a clear connection to them. And as I'm saying that, the dream dissipated, and that's when I woke up. So then the two days later, I have a, a session with Gene about some personal issue, and then I set about the task of describing this lucid dream because I said, you, you know, you were part of the dream. You know, the, the, the watchers were part of it. Um, okay, before before you go into that that part of it, okay, mm-hmm. we need we need to set this up a little bit better. Sure. Because what happened was that. Um, he tells me he's got a lucid dream. We're in the middle of something. A phone rings. I said, I can't do it now. But I became very aware that I needed to know what his lucid dream was all about. So uh, we get together again. I think it was the next day. And he tells me the, the lucid dream. And while he's telling it to me, I'm trying to connect to find out. Yeah, you well, started getting downloads about it. Well, I, I did get, it was weird because normally when you, you tell me about a lucid dream, um, I can't ever get into it because it's a dream that's in your mind. It's not like when you do a shamanic journey where you actually go to an etheric place. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but I'd forgotten you said it was a lucid dream. And so I'm like, well, where is this place, you know? And it was like, I couldn't get there. I could, I could see basically what what you were saying, you know, because you were saying it well or because I just could see it, but I couldn't get there. So then because I couldn't get connected there, I was feeling like I couldn't get connected anywhere. It was it was like, boy, I'm having a hard time here. And it was just very um, disconcerting until you said something about the okay, you said the black cube Mm -hmm. and that. That made me start telling you the story about the black cube that I got from the Mayans. Yeah. Whatever okay. became of that, by the way? It just disappeared. Oh, okay. I'm sure it's here etherically. <laughs> someplace. Or maybe laying in the yard. I know exactly where it was, and then it, it wasn't. Mm. So, you know. Um, but that story is... is um, 
is pretty interesting in that this happened back in the 90s. And the, Reverend Lee Brown, when she was talking to us a couple of times, she's mentioned the name Brenda Brock. Brenda Brock was the woman who developed the first psychic phone um one of them, I think there were others, but she was the one that sort of got out there first, the psychic phone uh, network. And she had come down to South Florida because she was interested in buying a particular crystal shop. And I was very uh, good friends with the crystal, with the owner of it. So I said, well, if she needs a place to stay, she can come stay with me. So she did. And we we really were only getting to know each other and she decides that um, she's going to show me these rocks that she had brought down from Atlanta which was her home station and she tells me she pulls out this this black rock um, <laughs> honestly it's very similar to the way Shanghai looks and it was um, a cube I would say that it was maybe an inch Maybe a little bit more. Maybe, and I should get out the, where is it? I just had it in my hand. The, um, and maybe it was an inch and a half on each side. So it's, it's this small little cube thing. But what happened was that it started out that there was a kid from Chicago down looking at the Mayan ruins outside of Mexico City. And he picks this rock up, this cube. And he knows he's not supposed to take anything from the area, but he does it anyway, brings it all all the way back to Chicago. And by the time he gets there, he's absolutely totally freaked out at what he did. So he gives it to a friend of his that is a, you know, practicing healer, psychic, who's on her way to Atlanta. So she says, yeah, okay, I'll take it. Don't worry about it. And, And puts it in a box where she's got all sorts of other crystals that she's moving. She's actually moving to Atlanta. So she moves to Atlanta, and it takes her a few months before she gets settled in enough to go into the box with the uh, the minerals in it. When she opened up the box, all the crystals were in shattered, just in, in shards. The only thing sitting there was the cube. So she freaks out, and she gives it to Brenda Brock, who is the next day flying from Atlanta to Miami. And... She gets here, and she's just put it in with her stuff, and she gets here, and now she pulls it out, and she shows me. And it's, it was just like one of those most absolutely bizarre things that, that just happened after that that was metaphysical beyond metaphysics. I mean, this is a woman that has been known to uh, have contacts with ETs, and the 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 from the minute that I handled it to and then put these different stones on it that I was directed to put on it, um, we went into an, another world. And there was a fleet of ETs, my next-door neighbor. I called her. I said, you better come over here. Um, we were taken etherically all around the world. There was all sorts of adjustments. It was wilder than wild. And, and ETs even showed up right standing next to Brenda, which I think freaked her out for the rest of her life. So I had this long relationship with the with the black cube. Now, when he mentions the black cube, and I, I think about this black cube, I'm sort of like, is there a connection here? What 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 are we doing? You know. But then he said something to me about, um, and I'm not even sure why it came into to to the conversation, but he said that um, the uh, Russian Orthodox uh, patriarch Kirilla 
had gone to Antarctic, the Antarctic, to do a blessing, a sacred ceremony over the Ark of Gabriel. And so now the Ark of Gabriel is back in the picture. Now, if you guys remember, the Ark of Gabriel uh, is what they found under the the um, Mecca in where the uh, the uh, Holy Dome is. What do they call that? I forget what it is. But the 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 dome there in that whole square, they dug this underground cave, and they came across the device. And when they uh, tried to move, there were some workers, like 15 workers or something. And when they tried to move this, it threw off a uh, a plasma burst. Okay, now that was on 12 September um, that this happened, and they, there was at least 107 uh, other people up up above it that were killed because when the plasma went off. It hit a crane, and the crane fell over and and killed a bunch of people and did a lot of damage. They have a picture of this flash of looks like lightning. So everybody assumed that the uh, crane had been hit by lightning, and I'm going, getting hit by lightning shouldn't have knocked it down like that. Um, But now then we start to hear this, this story. Now, I'm going to say that the story was originating, apparently, from um, Sorsha Fala, who's a suspect blogger, in that she puts out really good information sometimes, and sometimes, I, I'm not so sure, but she might be a good blogger that they're attacking. So I've never dismissed the information that she gets, because a lot of it just turns out to be true. Plus the fact that it just resonated as being true to me. Because she would not have known that just a week before that, or two weeks before that, Walt and I had done another freeing of the gin. And when we, Walt did a, a, you know, an intention that we free all the gin, because we, we had initially done it, thought we were good, and then realized, no, that there were some that were, were imprisoned in rings, which we had taken care of. But then Walt says, you know, maybe we better just make sure there's nobody else out there trapped. And so he d- he does, a, you know, gets us to all, you know, do a meditation and, and free all the gin worldwide. At which point, um, Doc Hu, I think it was, called in and said, do you know that there's these gin in the, the um, what is that dome's name? This bugging me. You mean name. the Grand Mosque? The Grand Mosque, yes, in the Grand Mosque, okay? Now, what, so what happened was that because I'm a remote viewer and time doesn't matter, um, I went back to, I went over there into the, to the, to the dome and it was just before Walt finishes the, you know, freeing of the gin evocation or, I don't know what you call it, incantation or something. I don't know what to call these things. But anyway, so I get there just before it happens when he finishes it and I'm seeing initially these, these gin just hanging there from the ceiling. And all of a sudden, one of them looked at the other one and went, did that just happen? And they just all disappeared. So I said, I reported, well, apparently they've been freed. Now, it's not likely that this woman who's writing about this strange thing with the uncovering of the Ark of Gabriel would have known that the jinn were no longer protecting that area. 
And that's why, you know, Walt and I are going like, wow, you know, the gin aren't there. And so now a crane is falling over and people and then and then. Okay, now on the 12th was when, when they went in and they found it in this plasma burst, killed the workers, but also 107. Now, that was on the 12th. Twelve days later, there was another burst of plasma when they attempted to move it again. And the estimates being given at the time were, you know, very low compared to the 4,000 that she's stating now. That was estimated that 4,000 people died. In, in the, on the 24th. I went back and looked at the, what the Saudis were saying. It was 800 or something, and, and now it's up to 4,000. So I don't know what that's about. But again, it was supposedly a plasma burst that, that killed these people. And then, of course, people were running around stampeding, so they blamed it on a stampede instead of the plasma burst. Now, when that second one happened, um, Patriot Carrillo was contacted by the Grand Mosque emissaries in regards to, to, the fact that, that this situation had occurred because they wanted to know about a very, very old Islamic manuscript that was possessed by the Russian Orthodox Church entitled Gabriel's Instructions to Muhammad. And the, uh, the Christian soldiers had saved it during the, uh, uh, the Crusades, and that's how the, somehow or another it ended up in Moscow. Supposedly, these instructions were given to Muhammad by the Archangel Gabriel in a cave near Mecca. When Muhammad was given a box, okay, or an ark, of immense power, which he was forbidden to use as it belonged to God only, and was instead to be buried in a shrine at the place of worship the angels used before the creation of man until its future uncovering in the day of resurrection. So what you've got is you've got this document that supposedly talks about an ark or a box that was hidden in a place of worship that the angels used before the creation of man. All right? So I go and I open up I go out the Mecca, I go and, and find Wikipedia, and it was this picture of the square, like from up above, down on it. And I told Walt, I said, Walt, how many times have I seen this thing, and yet I've never realized or seen it as a black cube in the middle of this square? I, I don't know. Sometimes I see the guides blind me from certain information until it's absolutely critical that I understand how important the information is. I have seen the pictures over and over again. I had never put it in my mind. I never really saw the black cube. I don't. I was seeing like a dome thing. I mean, it wasn't even similar. So they would blind me from seeing this. And now all of a sudden, I'm like, oh my god, <laughs> this black cube. That's the black cube they're talking about. Every because I kept saying. It must be the rock inside it. I actually thought it was the rock that they have inside the dome. I didn't realize that the dang thing itself looked like a black cube, the, the, the building. So um, I, opened this, I opened this Wikipedia thing up, and then I start, to, uh, I start to, to research it. And this building is called, I think it's pronounced the Kaaba, is the building in the center of, in the shape of the black cube, okay? Now, one of the famous commentators on the Quran, I find this, right, mentions two interpretations among the Muslims on the origin of this Kaaba, the building. 
And one is that the shrine was a place of worship for angels before the creation of man. Okay? Now, again, like, did she know that? That that was, I mean, did she go to all of this weirdness in order to be able to write a great story that everybody believed? If she did, she's really good at it. Because I'm really starting to believe the story by now, right? So... Now this is this is background stuff to what what's about to happen next. This, this, we didn't go through all this when when Walt told me that about the dream, but what is what started happening was that I'm, I start to kind of freak out because I'm thinking, oh my God, when we freed the gin, did we somehow or another? Did, was this supposed to be kept secret? Was it supposed to be protected because Walt's looking for a weapon, and uh, obviously this thing is very very powerful. And I get Guy in my head, and she says, no, 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 the djinn were keeping it from being found, and it needed to be found and dealt with, you know? And so, like, I'm going, like, oh, okay, all right. And then um, I kind of, like, I'm thinking about the fact that it's now in Antarctic, in the Antarctic. Now, we told the story about the vessels, the ships were supposed to have picked this thing up and in a Saudi port, and I could find the ship that was there, the... Admiral, whatever the V something long Russian name, that 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 ship had been there when it was supposed to. That there was a, a, a huge amount of Russian ships going to um, Antarctic. And another weird thing about this that came out after that, and more recently, is that on those ships they were carrying Russian soil because they're is a tradition in the Russian military that when you have to bury your troops on the on a foreign soil that you put a little few little bit of sand of Russia in the grave. So for some reason and they don't seemingly do this every time they go out, they were carrying vials of Russian soil. So were they really so afraid of this thing that they thought maybe none of them would even reach Antarctic or that they would be attacked or, you know, I mean, what what was that all about? That was another kind of interesting whammy to this whole story. Now, what gets really fun is that you'll remember that we did a show and, and we we were really wondering why the the head of the Orthodox Christians and the Catholic Christians go to Cuba in order to meet after, you know, a thousand years or 900 years or whatever it was. You know, what was that all about? And, you know, it was one of those things I think I said at the time, I, you know, we'll probably never hear what it was all about. But maybe we did hear what it was all about. Because supposedly, when Francis heard about the the uh, Ark of Gabriel being discovered, the same things that i am just been telling you, then he reached out to um Carilla and said let's please let's meet and apparently francis had a secret document an ancient secret document that he gave um Carilla, who then took it to the antarctic with him now this this happened only four days supposedly four days after he leaves cuba okay the patriarch of the Orthodox Russian Christians goes to the Antarctic and does this ceremony over the Ark of Gabriel. 
in a little church. There's a picture, you know, at the break, maybe I can get that picture up, but there is a picture of this little church, this uh, Orthodox church that's right there in Antarctica. So he actually, they put the, 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 the thing in the church, and inside it, he prays over it from the secret document that he was given by Francis. Okay? So... I'm like, okay, all right, I can see this thing. I can, I, I, I can, I can, I know that this thing is, is, is real. I can see it. And it, I'm look, I focus on it and it's like, I, inside of whatever this, this contraption on the outside is, and I'm seeing this cube and, and I hear this, this, uh, this voice say to me, guy say, frozen black hole. And I told Walt, I said, I just heard frozen black hole. So I'm thinking, okay, if you somehow or another, I mean, if you could, if if you could somehow or another get a, a black hole to vibrate at the 3D level, it would look frozen to us because everything is material because it's really frozen energy in relationship to ourselves. So it wouldn't take much energy put into this thing before it would start to erupt back into, you know, a powerful black hole. <laughs> That would just gobble up Earth and everything else um, around it, and so I'm like, oh my God, this is a terrible weapon. Yeah, they're right. What was white? Right. This thing is this thing is is ama- amazingly cra- crazy, um, and I didn't know what to do with it. And so Walt says, can the gin do anything? And so I said, well, let me ask them. And they said, no, we can't really do anything with it, but we can muddle the minds of the people that are trying to deal with it, so they can't figure out how to get it going whether accidentally or any other way. We're just going to keep them kind of muddled. So I said, well, we've got some time. We've just got time bought, you know, because they're going to just muddle their minds. But I still had no clue as to what we were supposed to do with it. So at that point, um, I said, uh, we just got to wait for more directions, more information. And then he gets with Gene on some other matter and the whole story of the lucid dream comes up. Right, Walt? Indeed. Okay, so you want to tell us what happened when you got with Gene? Oh, sorry. I was I was muted there. Uh, well, the same way that you started getting a download when I was describing the dream to you, when I started describing the, the dream to her, she started getting a, a reaction, like, like doing a a kind of download, and she started talking on her on her own, <clears throat> uh, describing things. And the focus of her description is not so much the place where it happened, not the man and the woman, but the cube itself. And she, she is—it's like she gets like multiple pieces of information at the same time. And she was she was getting this. Um, she was getting this message like vector eight, vector eight, and she says, "What does what does this mean?" And I didn't, I didn't realize it at the time. <laughs> this this vector eight, but when you look at, at a, a double tetrahedron Merkaba, and you have one made of shungite, it has eight points. It has eight vectors, and a double tetrahedron Merkaba actually fits perfectly inside a cube. 
So that that made sense to me why she was saying, you know, eight vectors. What does this mean, eight vectors? Um, so uh, she started this. First off, she told me about, I, I thought that the thing with the tiles didn't have any significance at all, but she said, no, that's, that's very significant because um, you have five times four, that's 20. And number two, is very significant, and she says numerology is very significant to the watchers because for them it represents energy and energy patterns. And number two had to do, if I remember what she explained, it had to do with with power. I think she said I'm not a, an expert in numerology, but it had to do with power and change because she says when the watchers do stuff they do everything in two she says when my guys get sick there's never one that gets sick like right now William and Jack are under the weather so it's two of them and as you know she does her thing where she gets quiet and she starts breathing really uh, deeply and she starts describing what she's seeing at one point she saw like they have, um, like one of these military vehicles, like these Hummers that you see the, the, the military, like Range Rover type vehicles trying to, um, drive over this very, uh, very barren landscape. And she says there's no road and they're trying to drive over it and it's very difficult for them. And she started describing intense cold. Really cold. She says, I'm freezing my ass off. And I said, it's cold in your house? She says, no, it's not my house that is cold. It's me. I'm freezing cold. Like she was there in, in, in the southern hemisphere. Uh, so when I shared with her what the Fulford let me just Let me, yeah, sure. let me just interrupt. At that moment, you had not mentioned anything about the Antarctic or the, the Ark of Gabriel, correct? Or you had told her that story? Um, no, I don't. It, we, we were just focusing on on the, the dream. On the, the dream. We were not. Okay, we were so not, she had no idea that I had gone to Antarctic with it. Mm-hmm. Okay, just making that clear. Correct. So, um, so she when when she saw what Fulford said today about this thing being taken to the Antarctic, she says, "Now I can see why I was feeling." So cold, and the landscape that I saw, uh, so barren and difficult to get around. And I said, "Yeah, it's, that's what you describe. Could be any of the of the islands there around the Antarctic, even the Falklands. You know, they have very arid. I mean, the only livestock that they they have there is sheep, because that's the only thing that grows for them to eat. It's very, you know, short vegetation. So." As she's describing the thing with the cube, she says the watchers are dealing with it. There's something that they have to do with it. And she starts describing that there's something at the very center of the cube. I said, oh, you mean at the null point? Because it sounded like she was describing a hypercube, something that could contain tremendous amounts of space. And she goes, yeah, there's something. There's something at the very center of it. It's like a little tiny source of light. Um, she says Jack is here and he's here with three other horses so they're surrounding the cube, they're going to be working on it and then at one point she says it's the witness thing you know, 
Gaia needs us to witness this thing. Uh, it's the watches that are going to be doing the work. So as she did, as she did that, <laughs> I remembered what I've done in shamanic journeys when having to deal with something, this this type of power. And I, I learned this from Enelia's practices, and I just let go and just say, you know, in the name of the universe, I witness thee. And the instant I said those words, she got like a tremendous coughing attack. It's like she just couldn't stop coughing until she, you know, finally subsided and stopped. And she continued describing, and she said that things were falling out of the cube as the watchers were working on it. She says, I see blood. And she goes, and it's, and it's feminine blood. And initially she thought it was Sasquatch blood. But then she goes, no, no, no. There's a Sasquatch here protecting me while they do this. So it's not Sasquatch blood, it's it's feminine blood. And then she goes, go ahead and write this down before we forget. She described that the following things were falling out of the cube and onto the earth, and it was ruby, gold, selenite, bear claw, and unicorn horn. And I said, is this a mineral or this is the actual unicorn horn thing? And she goes, no, it's the actual unicorn horn. Because she said that they were there also with the other watchers. And she says, all we're doing is we're witnessing this stuff. So she continued. Um, this, this is what's the point when she's saying vector eight. What does vector eight mean? And I didn't see the connection at that moment. But then after that, the session when we hung up, I started thinking about it. And I said, oh, yeah, vector eight. That's a, a double tetrahedron Merkava. It has eight points, eight vectors, and they fit perfectly. A Merkava, a double tetrahedron Merkava, f- fits perfectly inside a cube. And then she described that once the um, the whole thing had fallen onto the earth and the earth had absorbed it, I said to her, what you're describing kind of makes me think that some somehow, some way in the ancient past, somebody must have cast some kind of spell on the earth, like a binding spell to limit her, limit her power, limit her freedom. And she says, oh, yeah, don't doubt that at all. And once the cube was emptied out, but there was nothing else falling out of it, now the cube fell into the earth, and she says the earth is absorbed it. She's the one who's going to be dealing with this now. Uh, so so that was, that was, in essence, the, the substance of, of everything uh, that she witnessed. And then she says, yeah, it's done. It's taken care of. And then last night she had a lucid dream. So you want to tell that story? <laughs> no, no, you tell it, tell it. Well, <clears throat> um, the, the first thing is that she described the, the landscape. She was in a place that appeared to be like, like a garden, but she says, you know, when there's been a flood, how the appearance of things once the water has receded. I said, yeah, I have an idea. I've seen pictures of places that have been flooded, what it, what it looks like. And she says it was like that, like this place had had flood waters and then they receded. And you were there and Nancy and me and the three of us were planting yellow flowers like daffodils. And she mentioned other names. And 
she said uh, another thing that was there was um, one of these uh, clawed foot uh, bathtubs, and it was filled with blue. And she says, "What a, uh, the color of the water is what I call Ar- Arcturian blue." And inside the water, there was a, a fetus. She did not say if it was a, a, hum- a human fe- fetus, but it was black, like pitch black. And it made me think. I wonder if if that's like that something is the earth is going to birth something or something's going to you know something new is going to be born out of the earth uh, and then she says i saw jack and she knew it was the present day jack because of the eye thing and there was this girl riding jack but she had no no bridle and no saddle and it looked like she had no arms like her arms were inside her t-shirt so she was riding Jack just by the movements of her body and her legs. And I said to her, that, that to me, the symbology behind it is very significant. Uh, because she told me how there is no such thing as a good bridle. Even the ones that don't have a bit, they're even just as bad because they rely on pressure on the face of the horse to direct the horse. And she says their faces are extremely sensitive because of the whole nerve endings on, on their face. So she says there's no such thing as a good bridle. And I said that symbology is very significant. Number one, the lack of arms and hands. For the human, that's a symbol of control. You know, humans, we always have to be in control of something, either our emotions, our thoughts, the people in our lives, that's, that's the number one outstanding feature of any human, the control thing. So here she's riding without arms and hands in complete trust and respect for the, the horse. And so she's, they're almost on an equal base. So she's trusting the horse that it knows where, what to do, where to go. And he's being trusted. With not, that he'll know what to do, not to hurt the person that's riding him. So that, to me, was like respect between humanity and animal kind. And she said that uh, the blue, the the yellow of the flowers represents the solar plexus, which is power. And she says that the overall feeling of the lucid dream was peace, extreme peace, like something. Something had been happening, and now it's over, and it's gone. So what comes after it is this peace, this relief. So I, I don't know if she gave you more details. But that, that's what I remember of the details she shared. So since you, she spoke to you on the phone, maybe you're a projector, you picked up on other details that I missed. <laughs> no, she, she basically said that she was pretty out of it and didn't really remember what she had said, but you, she hoped you did. So. <laughs> <laughs> and and you did um well what what happened what what she called me when you were working on her computer actually oh okay because she realized that okay first off all this happened on the equinox spring equinox right that's the 20 the 21st yeah mm. okay um and the day before that, she had gotten a package from Linda Morse, and it contained um, some essences in there. Now, 
the company that Linda gets these from is ca- is called um, Not Made by Hand dot com. Hands, I think it's plural dot com. Not Made by Hands dot com. I should get that too. Um, and two of these were crop circle essences. Actually, I should do that right now. I'm going to do that. Let me see where this thing is. Oh, great. I didn't give... Okay. All right. I know what I can do. All right. Um, Sorry, guys. I'm mumbling to myself. I want to give you a picture of the first um, crop circle that we're going to talk about. And you're not going to believe what it's called. All right. Let me just get this thing up here. I should have had this up here beforehand, but I didn't. Okay. This is it. All right, here we go. Okay. This particular image is called the Ark of the Covenant. Okay, this was one of the essences that Gene got from Linda the day before you guys just did this particular, um, I don't know what you'd call it, outing. Let's just call it the outing, the Antarctic outing. Okay. Now, this you, you see it. Can you see it, Walt? I yeah. Okay. It's a cube. It's a cube, angled in such a way that it looks like a, a hexagon. So yeah. it, it's a. It, this is called an isometric projection for those out there that have studied drafting. That's that's what it, this particular thing is. So it okay, so somehow or another, and I haven't done the research, they get the essence, the energy that's being projected by this crop circle into these essences that are like homeopathic, okay? And the meaning behind these are um, channeled information, for, or, you know, we don't like the word channeled, but um, information that people get when they work with, with being, you know, with, with the picture itself. And so um, what this thing came to mean in the minds of the people that were working with it that they called it the Ark of the Covenant and it's it's about time space and dimensions it unlocks doors to time and dimensions the center box is opening unlocking keys to other dimensions and to hyperspace it is the Ark of the Covenant suspended in interdimensional space but accessible to everyone It includes sacred codes on how matter works, how time travel works, how hyperspace works. The ancients knew this sacred geometry and incorporated it into King Solomon's temple. It shows three windows into other dimensions. For those who want to be more aligned with the whole cosmos, this enables one to tune in to the oneness of universal love and wisdom. Now, <laughs> that's pretty interesting when you think of what had just happened. And it was after the fact that she she realized that she felt this this thing that the essence had, if it she couldn't have done what she did if she didn't have those essences. And so, as we're talking about it, she pulled out the paper that Linda had sent with them and read it. And we were like, oh, my God. (laughs) You know, it was just like, this is too wild. Okay, so now, um, 
I'm going to post up another one here because this one is the second crop circle essence that she was given. Okay. Now, <laughs> the synchronicity. You're not going to believe it. It's called the diamond light blessing. Oh. Okay. And you know, you know, what? Just before, well, it was at the first of the year where the diamond uh, energy got let loose, you know, the female diamond energy. So the fact that, you know, this comes up, I just, I kind of giggled when she said, because she's reading it to me, I was writing it down, I had to go research this stuff. Even though she had it with her, I wanted to be able to pull it off the website so I didn't have to try to take notes. Anyway, okay, so now this one, I'm going to read you again. It's a composite of four different people's uh, opinions of what they felt about it. Okay, if you want to time travel, this is the essence it changes the whole gravitational geometric structure of your cells so you can teleport and move through space and time. This is a planetary connection symbol. Each angle or degree encrypts a certain code that causes our DNA strands to develop and change in conjunction with the influences of various planetary constellations. This symbol is bringing unconditional love and peace to the world. It is multidimensional and It is a multidimensional and interdimensional opener. And then I think it was this one, and I took it out because I didn't see the connection. But I think it was this essence that started talking about the unicorn, and the unicorn king shows up. And you said that one of the things that came out of the cube that I just heard was... Unicorn. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure it was this one. It's one of these. And if, if it's not this one, I apologize. But it's one of these. They actually, they actually were talking about the Unicorn King. And I'm, I'm just like, well, I don't really... I don't want to get into the talking about something I don't know much about or anything about. You know, and I knew that Jack had talked about uni unicorn energy, but I couldn't remember what it was. So I didn't have time to look at it. So I took it out. <laughs> but it was there. Okay. So then, then all of a sudden the, um, one of the, one of the four, um, was connected to the intergalactic council. And he said that they told us that each person who takes the essence, only one drop only, will get a light guide at his or her side. Now remember, she said that the uh, the Bigfoot showed up to protect yep. her. Uh huh. Okay. <laughs> All right. These persons then will carry the light into the world with each step, and they will be joined for special tasks. <laughs> well, saving mm. the world from a black hole is pretty special to me. Mm. Okay. So then. Uh, then, th th this is not uh, a crop circle essence, but it was another essence that uh, Linda sent. And it's called Coming Home, okay? And the, the, the best words that talked to me, I'm just going to give them, they were, I just took the short uh, sentence down. This pattern awakens your cosmic consciousness and aligns your subtle energy bodies with the cosmic forces of creation. It increases synchronicities 
an intuitive knowing beyond the 3D veil. Okay, that was that was the third of the essence. All right, the fourth essence again, not a crop circle, but you know, and I, I I apologize. We'll get Linda on here to talk about these, maybe next week. If well, she's going to be busy, but we're going to get her on um, to talk about all of this stuff because I'm I'm the more I the more I get involved in it, the more interesting it is. Okay, the last one is Earth Balancing Trinity fosters the co-creative union between nature and ourselves to consciously awaken and shift our attention to Mother Earth. Use this earth-balancing essence for yourself and for our planet. Anointing the earth with this high-vibration essence consciously, with divine intent, and especially in concert with others, is a very powerful experience both for ourselves and for the earth. And in parentheses, she appreciates the acknowledgement. And again, this is so profound in so many ways. Um, to consciously awaken and shift our attention to Mother Earth. I mean, that's what that's what happened to me. You know, and the, to to bring yourself a totally in attunement with the Earth and and with nurturing nature. And then she talked about how the cube disintegrated and just went back into the earth and you know now mother earth has that that energy which and they're talking about anointing the earth here with this high vibrational essence and of course always um with the watchers particularly in gene there's always divine intent um but it's the she appreciates the acknowledgement. Again, all of this stuff is because of the witnessing and the creation of the story. So what we're going to do after the break, because it's time to take a little break here, um, we're going to just talk about this. And um, if you got any questions or comments, you know, put them in chat. And um, because there's, there's more to the story, uh, you know, there, there is. So, uh, Colleen, have you got something ready to go? Alrighty, and we are back. I think. <laughs> yeah, I was mute. <laughs> okay. Well, I was muted, but I was also um, reading Linda um, Morrison wrote me something on Skype saying she's listening and she can't get into to the chat thing. Um, but to let me know that um, the coming home is a crop circle essence, but I did not see the... Uh, the photograph of for a crop circle for the crop circle of that particular one that's the coming home one so thank you linda for that update appreciate that okay so um anyway what did you think about that walt the uh, essences i mean did you see the correlation oh most definitely the time i mean you gotta appreciate it if you zoom back out to get a a better picture of the whole playing board you know the time of me 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 is over you know all the all the players are being weaved together to get this stuff done so i know that by ourselves we do things and they help and it's part of the picture but now it, it's it's everybody's being brought together i mean it's just too blatant to ignore you know, the, yes. this person's being connected here with this and this one's being connected here and 
our waking consciousness are not even playing a role anymore. We're getting hijacked in our dreams. <laughs> so doesn't get any more obvious than that. Yeah, we also got talking about how um, I've noticed that people, well, your, yours was the first one that was so noticeable. People's voices have changed. Mm. And even genes. And what's happening is that there's more confidence in the voice, but it's also um, this flowing of the words. There's less hesitation. There's less thinking. And I said to her, yeah, I said, it's sort of like we don't, self-correct or think about what's coming out we trust it so much now that oh we're talking okay let's just see what we're going to say you know, <laughs> there's there's a feeling of trust in the system i mean we all had it to a degree or or not because we wouldn't have gotten this far without it but mm. if you really sort of like give yourself over to it which only comes with all of these little synchronistic Pats on the back, you know. Yep, that's exactly true. Now, one of the things that I found so interesting was this, the synchronicity of the black hole. Because when I first started out doing energy work, and Lee Brown, Reverend Lee Brown was the one that, that started teaching me energy work. And so I was like healing animals and and healing trees and healing everything. I mean, I was just loved this feeling of being able to see energy running through you from you to other things. It's it's awesome. But there's also this stuff called gunk. I call it gunk energy that when you're running energy, you very often are increasing the frequency of whoever you're working with, including yourself. And you create, um, well, it really works like Shungite. You know, you're putting such a clock, a, a counter, a clockwise spin on, on everything that the counterclockwise stuff starts disintegrating. And so you have all this gunky energy because I don't have Shungite. I don't have the quantum field to be able to suck up this gunk. Okay. All I've got is the 3D that I'm, I'm living in. And so I'm realizing I got this gunk. Uh, Lee had warned me of it, told me about it, taught me how to, you know, at least not suck it in. But I'm going like, okay, but what do you do with it? You know, do you throw it in a waste paper basket? Well, that didn't seem to be sane. And at the time, knowing much less than I know now, um, I thought, oh, well, salt will, will, will does so much of this, you know, cleaning and doing, you know, maybe maybe salt will do it. So where there's a big lot of salt. And I thought about Salt Lake City and the lake out there with all of this, you know, just salt. <laughs> Let's just throw it in the salt. So I'd been doing this about three months and I come home from my night job. I get here about, you know, uh, nine o'clock and I walk in, I turn on the television, the news is on and I'm standing in front of the a chair when I was working the remote and it felt like somebody put their hand on my left shoulder and very gently but forcibly made me sit down in the chair and so I'm looking at the television I'm going like what's happening and they were doing a news thing on how Salt Lake area was completely flooding out because of these you know unprecedented storms they were having and I went oh my god did I do that and I got yes and I said, well, what do I do with this stuff? How do I stop this? How do I get the gunk out of there so that it's not continuing? 
So I got this picture in my head of the galaxy, and in the middle of the galaxy is a black hole. Now, this is 35 years before they ever find out that there is, well, 25 years, that there is a black hole in every galaxy. That's recent information. It's only come out in the last six years. So the fact that, you know, 20 years before that, I was seeing a picture of it was something that I hadn't heard about it. I hadn't thought about it. It had never been presented to anybody at that moment in time, but it was to me. So I'm going like, okay, so I just send this energy into this black hole in the middle of the galaxy. Yes, do that. Okay. So I, you know, visually think about all this gunk just going into this black hole. And then they switched the picture on me, and it was like I could see the backside of the black hole. And the the backside of the black hole was a quasar. Okay, and a quasar is a point of... In the, in the sky where there's a tremendous amount of energy. Sometimes it's close enough you can see the light, but most of the time they can just read it because of the amount of energy coming out of it. And what I was being shown is that that, that the, the backside of a black hole is a quasar. And so I'm sending this gunky energy into it and it's coming out purified as a quasar in some other universe or galaxy, but I think it's universe. So, Um, now this, I, this, I don't even know what day this was. It was probably Wednesday. I don't, I'm not even sure, but I was doing things with pendants. And uh, I wanted something on that was not really going to bother me, you know, that I could stay really kind of like in a sacred space. But, you know, so science is always good for that normally. And so I see this thing on uh, super black holes, and so I click on it. Well, don't you know, it's the history of them finding out that every galaxy has a a black hole in it. And then they take it farther, and what they're seeing by their, by what they can see with the measurement devices they have at the present time, but the math and everything else is telling them that on the backside of a black hole is a quasar. You know, and I'm sitting there and I'm going like, I mean, I, I, I only was doing the pendants during the commercials because this thing was just like, whoa blowing my mind because it was such a confirmation that, you know, decades before anybody else knew it, I was shown this. And it was so much of a confirmation for the fact that, yeah, I get information that is nobody knows about. Walt gets information nobody knows about. Gene gets information nobody knows about. And it takes a while for science to catch up. So... This concept of the black hole, I saw, because Walt had presented it that way, I might have anyway, as a weapon, as something disastrously, you know, going to kill us all. When I asked Jean about that, she said, no, actually, she said there was an immense amount of just pure divine power in there that needed to be released. And then I thought of the quasar. You know, that on the other side of a black hole is a quasar. And this is profound kind of concepts, you know, that is so above as below or what below is above. I don't know what it is. And, but you got this concept of the most destructive force that we know of is a black hole. But on the other side of it is a source of new life.
So the, the, this whole episode that we've gone through is just full of one very bizarre synchronicity after another where you see the weave of thinking and thought and, you know, and, and events and, and, and twinges of what was that, you know? It's amazing. It's totally amazing. And we're living and witnessing the greatest story ever told. I mean, come on, let's get real. You know, in the story that we're looking at, the Jesus most most amazing story ever told is a chapter. It's an amazing chapter. But it's only a chapter in what we're actually experiencing right now. As more and more of us wake up to the fundamental truth that reality is much grander than we were brought up to believe it is. Thoughts, Walt? Colleen? What do you think? Well, the, on the, the, uh, the black hole is always going to be one side of the other side because if you look at the energy field of a galaxy, it's a toroidal field, like a big fat donut. If you look, and, and that goes, you know, the human body generates an energy field that has the shape of a donut. So when you're looking at that energy, one, as, as, the, as this steroidal field rotates, on one side of the donut, the energy is pouring into the center, and then on the other side of the donut, the energy is pouring out of the center to circulate back around the body of the donut. So that, that center where the energy is pouring in, that's your black hole. And it has to come out somewhere and it comes out the other side. That's why the, those guys that say the, oh, the universe is expanding right now. Well, it's expanding because of where you're sitting in that donut. Um, back in the, I think it was in the late 70s, early 80s, somebody lent me a book in English uh, by an author, scientist, George Gamal, and he wrote a very interesting book called One, Two, Three, Infinity. And the book covers a multitude of subjects, and one chapter he talks about astronomy. So he says that um, based on astronomical uh, observations, they the, when they see how the galaxies are laid out or spread out in space, and you plot the places, you create a shape that looks like a horse's saddle. You know, that double curved, because a horse's saddle is curved side to side, and then it's curved front to back. Well, if you momentarily put yourself, you stand in front of a structure that has the shape of a donut, that's exactly what you're looking at. You're looking at a, if you look at the interior surface of a donut, you're looking at a horse's saddle because it's curved, depending on the area that you're looking at, it's curved side to side and it's curved up and down. So the energy is, if you're sitting somewhere near the outer edge of the donut, then the universe is expanding for you. But if you're going to be sitting somewhere, your star system is going to be somewhere near the center of the toroidal field where it's pouring into the center, then to you the universe is going to be contracting. So what's the truth? They're both true. The universe is contracting and expanding. 
because it pours in through the center and then it comes out the other side. And that that uh, toroidal field is fractal, amazingly fractal. Every A planet has a toroidal field, a human being has a toroidal field, a solar system has a toroidal field, so it's everywhere. The whole structure of the universe is one big giant donut. It's not a sphere. <laughs> well, you know, when you were talking about your lucid dream and you were describing the donut again, this time I realized that what I think happened is that you were inside the device. Mm. That it was actually the structure of that gunmetal thing was actually a toroidal, 3D toroidal structure, ge- ge- geometric structure for the toroidal field. Yeah, and that was the shape of that my lab thing that I saw in the Shamanic Journey. It was shaped like a linear tube. That's right. <laughs> I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I... I, no, I, no. I saw that when you were describing it again. And then, who knows, as always, the super intelligent humans that uh, whenever they find something this amazing, oh, let's make a weapon out of it. Oh, Jesus, (laughs) it's not the only thing in your mind. (laughs) Well, you know, I mean, from a 3D standpoint, I would love to know what happened to it there in Antarctica. You know, I mean, if, and I believe that Jean did it, you know, whether she did it in our reality or she actually was able to do it in the old reality. Yeah. If it was done in the old reality, which I suspect it could have been, the Russians would know this. Well, one of the things I have to, I stopped following him because his postings look more like a screenplay for a, I know, here we are talking about reality sci-fi, and I'm about to criticize something, someone who's doing exactly that, but it's, I'm sorry, it's just, uh, for those people out there that follow the posts of, um, Cobra, um, I got a, I was able to see one or two of his posts. The, the, the thing that bothered me about his post, I'm not saying the man is a liar, I'm not saying he's a fabricator, I'm not saying any of that. You know, he says what he says, and, I can't prove it, I can't disprove it. So he has a freedom to of expression, like all of us have a freedom of expression. But the thing that got my goat was that every time something big was resolved, and this is it, this is the end. When this is resolved, that's it. That's when they'll do the big declaration. Uh, and, and then that was resolved. Oh, now there's a new threat. So it was like watching an adventure series where at the end of the of the season you get a cliffhanger. <laughs> So I'm thinking, this will never end, because every time some big problem is resolved, which is the thing that will solve all the problems, and, you know, after this, they'll do the disclosure. Oh, no, some new threat. So at one point, in one of his posts, he was saying that, oh, the the, the resistance, the new threat that they had to neutralize was something called a, a strange let bomb, that they said that these had been brought over from another star system, and that they were spread out in strategic places on the Earth. And if you were to detonate a single one, it would actually destroy the entire solar system. That's how amazingly powerful these things were. So that's why the resistance couldn't move forward, because they had to locate and disable these strange-lit bombs. And, well, maybe he wasn't that far off, because this thing, if it had been used, it would have you know, swallowed up the earth, 
from what you remote viewed. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, you know, um, it, there really are so many. I mean, like we have all these stories about the stuff that we do, but um, and we have indications that you know, yeah, this stuff really did happen. Um, we tell, we say, we freed the jinn from from all over the world, including Mecca, and within you know a short time later, there's all this finding the Gabriel and you know plasma blasts and you know Antarctic. I mean, like <laughs> with, the story has continuity to it. Yeah. You know? and, and you have an independent reports are you know backing up. You know we're seeing stuff. And then somebody writes an article about it. I mean, come on. Yeah, or we'll discuss some kind of a, a, a concept that we have scientifically, and then the quantum physicists, oh, so, oh by the way. <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, yeah, didn't we just say that, you know? Um, I, I just challenge anybody to, to look at what we've said and to find that we have not, that, that, that there are ind indications that, you know, what happens here really does happen. Um we have a lot of fun doing it. Well, look at the uh, the synchronicity uh, of the the whole gin issue. You know, the ones in the Grand Mosque they get released all of a sudden. The Grand Mosque is it just falls to pieces. It's not protected anymore. Is that a coincidence? I think not. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we we throw the water turtle into the river. Linda does this again. Linda Moore throws it into the river, and the river clears. Yeah. Nobody's had an explanation for it. Yeah, I mean, you know, um, so many of it. I mean, they, okay, the fleas and ticks, we have absolutely failed at. <laughs> yeah, that, that was a that was a personal thing, not another planetary thing. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, yeah. So um, my my question sort of gets into the real philosophical kind of things because. We've got people like Cobra and, and others out there, you know, that are always fighting these wars and, you know, doom and gloom. And, and I'm going like, you know, if all this was really happening around us, do you think that we wouldn't see it? Yeah, well, you, you've explained that uh, very well when you've said it's very simple. These people are living in another reality. That's exactly. their reality that they're living, that they that bubble of reality that they've made for themselves, where this is the way things are. Because one of the things that I do not agree with, because we are constantly saying about taking responsibility for your reality, becoming aware of your reality, seeing how you build your reality with the things you say and think, and uh, that, to me, rings resonates with me. Yes, I should not be complaining about reality. I should be taking responsibility for it and doing my part to make it the way I want, not the way somebody else wants. But his message is disempowering in the sense that all that we can do is meditate about it. That's all that his groups do. So uh, because the, the actual... Hard work is being done by some mysterious group called the Resistance. Uh, you don't know where they are. You don't know who they are. You know, it makes sense. They have to be super secret for their own protection. But it's out of your hands. All that you can do is getting these groups and do these specific meditations that it gives you. And 
And I'm thinking, that's it. That's the responsibility I'm taking for my reality. This is all I can do. It makes me feel kind of powerless. You know, where is my thought in all this? How is How are my thoughts playing a role? How is my consciousness and awareness playing a role? That's why that other part doesn't doesn't go. I, I totally agree. Meditation is good. Uh, global meditations have been proven to you know change the rates of crime and stuff like that. Um, so that has a place. Yes, most definitely, it is real. It does happen. But to say that that's all that I can do, so it makes me feel kind of helpless. You know, that's all I can do. I, all I can do is just sit and meditate and wait for the steam rollers to roll roll, roll over me. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Maybe I'm. I'm I'm out of uh, I'm out of line here, but uh, I'm imperfect. I'm just a human. <laughs> well, we tried something different. We actually said, "Let's just take this space and create a new reality." Yeah, you know? um, and the uh, that's the thing that I find that's powerful. The not only meditating, which is going to change your point of focus, is going to change your consciousness, but the use of the active use of shanghai, the taking back of your energy, that is super powerful because the more humans that are taking back their energy, they're helping Gaia, even if they don't realize they're doing it. Because now instead of being subjected to all these energy forms that are counterclockwise, you start waking up despite yourself because now all of a sudden this cocoon of negative energy around you is dissipating, it's changing, and you're waking up whether you like it or not. That is as valuable or even more valuable than just you know sitting and meditating for 30 minutes. Well, we certainly know that Shungite has made a massive difference in, you know, <laughs> many, many hundreds. We've got over... 800 customers, many of them repeats. But, um, you know, it, it's... Today I had a phone call from a lady that I met from a local group. That You know, they get together. They don't meditate, but they get together to discuss different subjects. Um, some, of the, some of the meetings are like old hat stuff for me. But it's... it's it's just a way to socialize and talk about, not talk about politics or sports or other trivial stuff. You know, so it's, you can get to, for a couple of hours, you, you discuss something interesting. So one of the ladies was interested in the Shanghai when I mentioned it. And I just gave her three stickers to play with and I put one on her phone. And she told me that she was doing this. I don't know if she's, if it's Hallmark or some other company where she has to go around the stores and they give her, um, a Wi-Fi scanner, so she has to scan the barcode on the stock in order to find out what the store needs. And she says, I can actually feel the energy of this thing. It, every time I'm, I have to work with that scanner, it gives me such a headache. So I wanted to give her a pendant as a, as a gift, but she wouldn't have it because she says, no, no, this is worth money. Uh, when I can, I'll, I'll, I'll buy a pendant from you. So I said, okay, and I just gave her the stickers, and she says she's just keeping the stickers in a pocket in her body, and already she's felt the difference at her house and when she goes around doing the job. And what is the sticker? You know, just a little pinch of powder. 
So that's how that's how powerful it is. So now that person is experiencing uh, a difference in their energy field, and it's making her see things differently, think differently. So it's like you said from the beginning: let's take back our energy. I've got a I've got a great little report from uh, Barbara Three Crow. Okay, it says here's a report on shungite here at Owl Ridge. We've eight chickens laying hens. We have eight chickens laying hens. What's that mean? That there's eight chickens that eight are chickens hens? and they're laying <coughs> hens. And oh, they're laying hens. Yeah. They they lay eggs. Okay. <clears throat> Okay, they tied a bag of shungite, has been placed high, hung high up in their house. They're also getting shungite in the water. Some have had bumblefoot, which is a bacteria and serious issue for chickens. We noticed a few days ago that the bag of shungite was missing. We found the bag outside on the ground and no shungite inside. Also, the bumblefoot has healed, gone, which doesn't happen without medications. We believe the little people had taken the shungite out of the bag and that the shungite has healed the bumblefoot. Is that a great story or what? So is, uh, does she think that maybe the, the birds ate the nuggets? No, she thinks the little people. It was up, up high in the, it was in the rafters of this little hen house. Oh, okay, I got you. They, I got you. they think the remember you're talking Native American, and they oh. thought they think that the little people went and took the shungite. You know, ah. we've we've seen shungite. I mean, Gene Rockefeller got a batch of shungite from us that disappeared instantaneously. And she, <laughs> she, 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 you know, at first she's going it'll show up, and then she realized no, probably not. I think the little people took it. Oh. So, you know, they feel that the shungite, in fact, cured the uh, the bacteria infection on the chicken's feet, but that the little people were the ones that took the bag outside, took the ch shungite out of it. Oh. <laughs> so, so it was, uh, so they took it as an offering then? They probably just... The shungite had done. The shung, if they were so, given, if they were putting shungite in the water, they had plenty of shungite for these chickens. They didn't need the bag. The little people oh. knew that and went and took the shungite in order to what? Spread it around. Well, there's a that that report to me indirectly confirms how powerful the shungite would be with the bees, since the bees are you're suffering from these disgusting insecticides. These Monsanto insecticides that are causing, you know, such tremendous bee die-off. If they, if we could put powder on the on the beehive where they enter and exit the hive, their legs would pick up shungite. So each bee is like flying around with their own little pendant. Well, we have we have a woman who here in Florida that has a beehive, huh? and she she's building new um, houses. <laughs> what do they call them? Hives, I guess. The hives. The hives, they're building new ones, and she's got the powder, and mm -hmm. she understands bees, so they're trying to figure out the best way of being able to do this, to get the them in a, to keep the powder from blowing away, for one thing. Okay. And, you know, so that hopefully, yes, they can pick it up. Um, I, you know, I, probably well, not. Well, you've, you've seen the structure of hives where it's set up in such a way that the bees come in and out of a single small opening. So that was my 
that's the way that I envisioned it. If you were to sprinkle a little bit of the powder on that little ledge of where the opening is located, as they enter and exit, their their legs would pick up tiny particles from the powder. Yeah, but I mean the wings coming in, you know how flaky that powder is, it blow away. Oh. Mm. That's the only hesitation I have. Sprinkle it right mm-hmm. inside the opening. Yeah, like like right on the on the other side of the opening, so it wouldn't be get blown away and it's just sitting there on the floor. And as they come and go, they're touching it. Now I wonder also if if we should think in terms of how is it that they get the pollen on their legs? The pollen is sticking to a plant, right? And then they fly on it, and it gets on their legs, and then they take off. Well, the what the bee takes from the flower, it, the, it takes the nectar, which is a, oh, a it liquid. Does take, but the pollen gets on them. Isn't that how they repollinate? Well, everything? because what what they do is, you know, the the stamen in the center of the flower, right? The little. So when the the, the bee uses the stamen to plum climb into and climb out of the flower. Well, there's several different flowers with different anatomies, but the point is that as the as the bee reaches in to get to the nectar in the flower, it has no choice but to use its legs. So because the legs are like little miniature brushes, they pick up all the pollen. So it goes on to the next flower to pick up the next batch of nectar. Well, so, that's what I, yeah, so that's why I'm wondering, is there some way that we can... Um, put shungite powder on some kind of material where it will adhere to that, but the action of the bees actually going over it will pull it off just like it does in the plant. Yeah, that's why I, that's why I envision just sprinkling it on the surface where they walk, and then the ends of their legs will just pick up a few grains of it, and that's it. That's like a carrying its own personal pendant. Yep. That, plus, plus the, once, the, the, once they take in the field, the field is going to stay with them for a while because Lee Brown yeah. taught us that when she went through the um, the detectors at the airport. And even mm-hmm. though she didn't have the shungite bracelets on her or even the pendant, it was showing up um, in, the, in the scan, even though that she wasn't even wearing them at that point. So the field has some, you know, for some reason. Uh, this whole the, the other, you know, primary we have, the protection of the bee, right, by the shangri. Right. But then the bee, as it's as it's going from flower to flower, it's also pollinating the flowers with shangri. So now the flowers are being protected from EMF crap. So you should get even better flowers, right? <laughs> well, let's hope. <laughs> it's like I because say, you, you know. You've seen, you had your own personal experience with what happened when you put Shanghai powder on the on the seeds that you put down. So you can imagine if the the flowers get you know they get pollinated plus they get the the Shanghai particles, it's a win win situation there. Well, you know, I wish I I, I don't know the full I haven't read this report yet, Stephanie, um, but Dylan, you know, Dylan, we talk about him quite often because he he's a friend of Jordan's who was the one that um, talked to his mom about Shungite and said that he had he felt when he had a, he was a superhero when he had the Shungite pendant on because he, he just felt so protected. Um, well, he did a, a, a an experiment, a science project regarding Shungite and how it works. 
And in fact, I think that they decided that the Shungite wasn't working like it should have. Um, or like they anticipated because they ended up, nothing was growing. <laughs> so they ended up using, um, some kind of, um, uh, fertilizer thing. Okay. And the flowers, mm-hmm. the plants that they fertilized took off, but the plants that were fertilized in Shungite, they did not. And it was because, well, the, Dylan thinks that it's because the Shungite was working against the fertilizer to take the stuff that was really toxic out of it, and therefore turning the fertilizer into non-fertilizer. That's my understanding of what he concluded, and I could be wrong, but that that makes sense to me. So the plants with the fertilizer did not progress as well as the ones without? The plants that had fertilizer but no shungite responded to the fertilizer, but the, uh, the plants that had fertilizer and shungite did not respond. And that's now, did, he have plants with, did he have plants with shungite only? Yes, and he wasn't getting, well, I don't, yeah, initially he had shungite versus non-shungite, but they weren't, neither one of them were doing right. They weren't growing right. So they decided to try to fertilize them. Maybe something was wrong with the soil, so they fertilized them. And when they did, the ones that did not have shungite in the soil, the fertilizer made a bigger plant. But what, what, what was the health of the plant? Because the other ones, the shungite neutralized all the negativity in the fertilizer, making it unpotent. And so they didn't get the, the juice of, of what the fertilizer, but maybe it was all counterclockwise. Yeah, maybe you're getting big plants, but what are we really doing with these big plants that have all this fertilizer on them? Are we taking in a tremendous amount of toxicity? Yeah, that's not, just because the plant is big doesn't mean that it's healthy, it's just big. It's just big. Like those, uh, like that special feed that they have, you know, for livestock you know, make these big, fat animals, but they're not healthy. They're just fat. Well, you know, I over the years, I got so that I couldn't eat chicken because it, it didn't, not only didn't it taste like chicken that I remember as a kid, but I didn't like the texture in my mouth. There was something that didn't feel right. Mm-hmm. So finally, Peter told me about um, green chicken. You know, it's not all got all this crap in it. And uh, so I tried it, and I was, like, stunned. I couldn't believe that, first off, it tasted like a chicken from my childhood. It had the texture of it. But what I found so interesting was that if I would cook one of the old chickens, I'd get this chicken that had been pretty plump but now was pretty scrawny, and there was all this white gunk in the bottom of the pan. Mm. You know, and yet because I always ha- I always have them on a on a grate, you know, so that they're not sitting in the juices. It's just mm-hmm. you know, and it'd be all this white gunk. And yet, if I cooked a smaller green chicken comparatively, I would end up with more meat on that chicken when it was cooked, and none of this white gunk. Oh. So I'm telling you, even though the green chicken is more expensive, you're going to get more meat off of it, and you're not going to have whatever else is in the bottom of the pan. Yeah. Because yeah. they're they're being fed differently. They have a different different diet. Mm. Yeah, that was that was um, pretty eye opening to me when I saw that. So now I won't touch anything that 
isn't, you know, organic meat. Mm. It's more expensive, but, you know, I'd rather eat less of it and <laughs> know that it's not got all well, gunk one of the, I don't know if you know this. I, I learned of this uh, here in Minnesota from somebody that the, that works at a chicken meat processing plant. That whatever. Be, don't tell me anything gross. Huh? Don't tell me anything gross. I don't want to hear gross. No, the what what whatever doesn't get used gets ground up and gets sent to another plant where they make chicken feed. So when they feed, you know, non-organic feed is actually chick. It's like you're turning your chickens into cannibals because that feed is made with chicken parts. Oh my God, that must be really screwed up energy. Yeah, can you imagine? Oh my. Yeah, they don't they don't waste anything. They don't throw it out. All that stuff that they don't use. Colleen, you said that you told the cable guy about Shungite and, and Wi-Fi. What did he say? Well, one, he was, you know, when I mentioned the Wi-Fi, he kind of turned and looked at me. And I said, you know, you know that Wi-Fi sends out waves. That's why it works. And I said, you know, our children are in the schools that have Wi-Fi. And then they come home and they sit at their iPads or iPads or uh, laptops, and they're inundated. And I said, and some children sleep with their iPads, iPods, phones at their heads on their pillows because they fall asleep playing games and stuff. And I said, you need Shungite. And he's, you know, we went through what is Shungite, and I talked to him a little bit about that and showed him my necklace and some of the little stones and wrote it down for him and all that. And uh, he seemed quite interested in that, you know, because, one, he's working on modems and routers and all that kind of stuff all day long. So he seemed very, very interested in it. And I uh, hope he spreads the words to all of his Comcast buds and friends. Prob yeah, probably not, but we have to hope for the best because the information keeps getting out there. I mean, it's not going to slow down. There, I mean, every day I'm posting something new. You know, this this group over here is screaming that you got to get the Wi-Fi out, and that group over there, and you know, the smart meters are being taken down in places. It's it's like it's catching on. Um, now the 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 but the, the problem being is that we we really do have so much um, positive things that happen when you've got all of this technology. And that's why Shungite is like this perfect thing because it doesn't destroy or block or, or any of that. It just changes it from being very damaging into something that is not going to hurt you. You know, I won't go so far as to say it will help you heal, but um, I'm going to say that it won't hurt you um, because it's just... It's, and so that's like the perfect, you know way of, of having no problems here. And, of course, we know now that we can use, you know, single grains of, of Shungite powder, especially when it's been put through the S4 processing. So. Well, I did show him my Shungite powder as well. 
you know. Did you, yeah. Yeah. Said, you know, you can get this. Where do you get it? Well, I got mine on eBay, but you can get it from uh, Nancy's site, and I give him that as well, you know, Shungite and stuff. And I said, you know, just go on. I said, you want to make sure that it's from Russia, from a place called Karelia. And, you know, showed him my Shungite water that I keep here with three little nuggets in it. And that's what I drink. So, yeah, I probably drove him nuts while he was working on my... Did you, did you tell him that there's no withdrawal symptoms when you run out of powder? No. <laughs> no, but when I went to show him my Shungite water, one's in this big vodka bottle, okay? <laughs> and the other one is in a scotch whiskey bottle. I like the way Colleen thinks. <laughs> well, they're glass, you know? <laughs> and I'm not throwing them out. But, uh, yeah, at first he's like, oh, you know what I mean? It's water. It's water. <laughs> oh, you mean the bottles were empty? No, they weren't empty. They had water in them, and, you know, vodka and water, you can't really tell much of a difference unless you uh, open it and take a shot. But, uh, yeah, you know, as he's working and I'm sitting over here <laughs> drinking out of a bottle of vodka. <laughs> well, yeah. I'm just like, it's water, dude. It's water. And, then, and you're talking about shungite? No wonder he thinks you're crazy. Well, I showed him the shungite that's in it. And the mag, you know, and the bracelet that's got the amethyst and the shungite and all that kind of stuff, and explained why there was so much of it in here. <laughs> oh wow! Yeah, it's um, well. Um, old one said that when he got the shungite, that he had headaches for, uh, I think he said a couple of weeks afterwards, but he felt it was the shungite just removing crap from his brain. I thought that was interesting. I went through this Shanghai detox with... Six weeks? Of removing crap from his brain, yes. Long job, long job. Jeez. What were you saying, Walt? I'm one of those people that experienced the um, Shanghai detox on the emotional level, you know, getting different emotions for no reason or just unexplained bouts of anger and you don't know where is this coming from and... I totally understand that it was the the detox, the energy detox that you have to go through. Hmm. So I'm a witness to that. Hmm. I didn't notice any of that. Of course, you know, sometimes I just don't have time to notice what the hell I'm going through. (laughs) (laughs) Well, what I noticed was that um, the symptoms of fibromyalgia that I had disappeared. Hmm. You know, which is achiness all the time, and you know, it's like, uh, you know, all of that disappeared. Mm. And I had been taking some something for some herb, herbal thing for, it, and um, it ran out, and I just never even thought about it again. And then I realized one day somebody said something about it to me, and I went, you know, no, I haven't had any symptoms, and I'm not taking anything. So I think that that a lot of the effects that, that shungite sometimes has people don't even you know make the connection to that it's the shungite um it's 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 just a you know and it's a gift it's a gift from mother nature saying here if if you if you if you want to make the playing field you know completely so that you can play in it you know uh, here take this shungite that's been around for two or four billion years i mean for crying out loud just sitting there waiting for us to wake up 
It's a long time waking up. Mm-mm-mm. So what did you think of our uh, stories? You people are crazy. <laughs> what did you think, Colleen? Is she there? Is she muted? Yes, I'm muted. Oh, she's I'm there. Sort of unmuted because I always forget which I am. <laughs> <laughs> I thought they were very interesting stories. Uh, the the um, unicorn surprised me quite a bit, but not unhappily because we've always loved unicorns around here. Um, and, of course, was glad to hear Linda's name brought up again. Uh, she's quite a gal. Yeah, you guys grew up in the same high school or something, didn't you? Yeah, we went to the same junior high school and high school until she moved away, yeah. That's, so that's funny. What I, that's what I was saying. That's three people who have been guests um, on some of these Wolf Spirit radio programs that used to live in my hometown. <laughs> so I'm like, and this is not that big a place. So I was like, wow. And you're still living there? Yes, I've moved away twice, but, you know, it's like a black hole just keeps bringing me back. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my. So do you go to all the high school reunion parties or what? I did in the beginning. Uh, I think the first you know, three, that was every five years. And then I'm like, I have nothing whatsoever in common with these people except the bar. <laughs> but it's such a great opportunity to lie your head off. Uh, well, I'm just not all that good at that. <laughs> I tried, but I always give me away. So, yeah. I so just tell them about Shanghai and all your amazing adventures. Oh yeah, then they'll think I'm crazy. <laughs> I did well, go you know, to one. Oh gosh, it's probably been five years ago, and it wasn't a for real reunion. It's just a bunch of people who've gotten together on Facebook and went to a local pizza place. And again. Didn't know what the heck to talk to anybody about. Cause because you grew up and they didn't? Well, because they're still into, you know, like, what's going on at the racetrack and all that kind of stuff. And I'm like, who cares? <laughs> oh, yeah. My 50th is coming up this October. They're going to have it. And it's like, A, I'm like you. It's like, I don't have. They, they, we were talking. It's like two languages. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, they're going to bore me to death. I'm going to freak them out. You know, so what's the point of having those kind of a conversations? Especially because you don't have enough time to really get into into anything deep. So you're like, how are you? You you got children? You know, is your husband alive or dead? You know, but the thing that really would would freak me out is that all these people are going to look old. <laughs> Yeah, but then you get to think to yourself, oh, my, I look so good for my age. <laughs> oh, no, I don't. So, oh. you know, I, but it's, it's um, when I went to a, a reunion with with my cousins, it was, you know, the cousins were all there and everything. I got so, okay, so I was drinking something. I don't even know what it was, but I was drinking it. But so maybe part of it was that, but 
I got so confused because I kept trying to think of my cousin's own children as them. Because the last time I saw them, they looked more like the kids than they did like these old farts. You know? <laughs> and I was like walking around like, oh, I don't like this at all. Because if they look that old, I must look that old. So I, I've been kind of of the mind that, no, I would I would avoid a uh, a reunion at all costs. <laughs> So I, I, you know, but what? Why do people go to them, Colleen? Do you know? Well, cause some of them like that sort of thing. I, I reckon, or they wouldn't be there. Well, that's like my parent, my father would have loved that because all his stories were from that time. It's like after high school, the world ended. There was nothing. It's like I would think to myself, but. Didn't you experience something different? Didn't you learn something different? That everything happened in high school. All the stories, all all your experience, life experiences, just happened in this one particular slot of time. So I guess some people are like that. They're just frozen in time. It was the only happy time in their lives. Yeah. So I'm going to stick to it. Yeah. The only time that I had fun. It was the only time that I didn't have to work for a living. So I'm going to stick to this. After high school, you know, life ended. You know, you have to get a job and a mortgage and whatnot. And <laughs> so life is just a big burden of drudgery. Well, <laughs> no? you know, and I think that, and I think there is a lot of truth to that in, in that, you know, those were more carefree days. You had so few responsibilities other than your homework and your grades and keeping your room yeah. clean and being home in time so that you didn't get grounded. <laughs> but, you know, there is a lot of truth to that. And then, you know, then you go to college and then you get married and you have families and you get a job and you buy this and buy that and have bills. And so I suppose for a lot of people that is a reliving of the simpler times and their friendships, you know, because a lot of them were very close in high school. I wasn't, you know, I was kind of a, believe it or not, a, a hermit even then. Well, you must have at least one couple that married out of high school, right? Well, yeah. I mean, you know, yeah. So, but anyway, they had fun. I wasn't quite so. I had fun at the after party. But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Are you going to force us to ask, spill the beans, what happened in the after party? Well, you could ask. <laughs> but you're not going to say it. Right. <laughs> Does she remember? <laughs> <laughs> oh, we went out. Wait a minute. Dancing. Wasn't I wearing a different dress last night? <laughs> <laughs> Why is he wearing my dress? No, just kidding. <laughs> uh, that's funny. Well, we're getting cl to close to the end here, and this is a um, Wolf Spirit Radio produced by Haggy Shack Radio and. Haggy Shack, actually, you can go over to Haggy Shack Radio or HaggyShack.com, and you can, um, you know, listen to the radio there. I mean, it's it's got its own radio station there too. But we simulcast over Wolf Spirit with um, JP and his Ever Beyond radio station. So all three of them, uh, you know, operate on donations, and you can go to any three on Wolf Spirit. You can also become a member. And then have access to over five years of really good radio archives. Um, you can find Walt and myself on CosmicReality.net. And if you want to do a shamanic journey or have Walt help you with a computer um, or get some of his amazing devices that we don't 
really stock in the store. Uh, you can go to newparadigmtools.net. And, uh, but everything, and this radio show will be archived on cosmicreality.net. And you can find that by, um, going to the homepage. And on the right side, there's buttons, and the bottom button is current radio show. And you just click on that, and it'll bring you here. And we'll put up those pictures that we're in chat and some links that um, will take you to the to the story. And I will look at that Fulford report about Carilla going to uh, Antarctic. What did what? Do you remember what it said exactly? Was he just uh, confirming it? Hold on, it's not very long. Oh, hold good. On. I can say it in a couple of minutes. Okay, hold on a second. Uh, Something is happening around Antarctica these days that is shrouded in secrecy, but it's also attracting a lot of heavy hitters. The visit to Antarctica by Patriarch Kirill, the head of the Russian church, in February was the first sign of something unusual happening. Now this week, U.S. presidential spokesperson Barack Obama will be visiting the Nazi South American headquarters in Bariloche in southern Argentina. Uh, just before the Obama visit, it was revealed that China had built a giant space exploration base in southern Argentina. Following this revelation, the Argentine government reported they sank a Chinese fishing boat near a restricted area off the coast of southern Argentina. Pentagon sources say the boat was probably a Chinese spy vessel, since the normal fishing vessel would have responded to Argentine warnings. So it's getting busy everywhere, I guess. Obama is going there. Where's Obama going? Uh, to the uh, to Bariloche. Bariloche is like the most tourist expensive city in Argentina. It's called the South American Switzerland because it looks exactly like Switzerland. The landscape, people go skiing. But if you go into a store to buy um, a salt shaker, it probably costs you fifty dollars. It is the most expensive place in all of Argentina. It's a Cabal, Illuminati, Enclave. It's their and playground. This, and this is in the southern part of Argentina, or where is it located? It's, uh, I was, I lived, I'm native of, to the province of Mendoza. Bariloche is south of Mendoza in a state called Neuquén. Uh, and it's in the mountains. And very, very wealthy people live there. You know, you'll have Germans and Swiss and Everything that's uh, anybody that's connected to the cabal is going to be there. And when's, when's he going there? Um, he doesn't say when. It's just that he went there. He's already gone there. Because I know he's just, down. He's down there shaking hands with. Uh, well, it the says kid. the next paragraph says. Furthermore, the heavy-handed attempt of Kazarian Mafia attempt to overthrow the government of Brazil has now failed, depriving the Kazarian Mafia of Brazil as a place to flee now that the American people are waking up to the crimes that have been committed against them, CIA sources in South America say. Now, CIA sources in Asia are saying their connections who are above the government are all flying south this week and hinted strongly that south referred to Antarctica. This is all very interesting because years ago, Paul Lane, a source in Pentagon military intelligence, told this writer the then state-of-the-art UK guided missile destroyer HMS Sheffield 
have been captured by Nazis operating out of an undersea base in the region. The Sheffield was supposedly sunk in 1982 during the Falklands War between Argentina and the UK by an Exocet missile. This increase in highly secret activity in the southern hemisphere near Antarctica is somehow connected to ongoing negotiations over a gold mine in Papua New Guinea. That New Guinea, that lane also indicating was, was indicated was the location of a Nazi secret base. It's fascinating. <laughs> the story just keeps getting better and better. So we're at the end of the uh, March 22nd show. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you, everybody, uh, for being here. We love you because we, we know that you're the best reality makers out there. That's right. We, we, we're, we'll, we'll find out what the next episode is next week. And uh, God bless you all. Gaia bless you. Colleen, thank you so much for um, producing us. And um, I guess we'll just say goodnight. Night, night, everybody. everybody. Thanks again. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Explanations for the nation overstanding the impression is the lesson.